3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. i been going to my friends? I'm just trying to make you some money because my job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put days like this in context, because you're probably wondering what the heck happened. So you can call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer, which I'm having some fun. Some of those apes are enjoying themselves, so I try to help out now and then. Look, there is nothing like a huge down opening based entirely on the stock futures to get the bullish juices going. Dow will be surging. 828 points. The S&P roaring 2.6%. The Nasdaq poll voting 2.23%. I'm calling it a bull smoke show. Now, tons of smart hedge fund managers had bet that today's CPI number would cause a crash. By the way, I mean the word crash. They thought this was October and it was over. They wanted to get out well ahead of it if they saw the CPI or even short it. Sell, sell, sell. when it was down 2%. In other words, selling the futures down 2%. Now, these alleged geniuses weren't worried about a future where credits tightening rapidly and buying a house becomes borderline impossible. They weren't betting that we'd have way too much auto inventory by this time next month, resulting in real price cuts. They weren't thinking about retail being promotional and having so much inventory. They simply made up their minds that the market was poised to be crushed by a hot inflation number, which is why they wanted out sell out down 2% through the futures because they soon figured it would be down 5 10%, maybe 6%. Hey, maybe it'd be down 10%. That was easy. I am not kidding. That's how they think. They were worried or opportunistic. So worried or opportunistic that they felt they could sell down 2%, betting it would be down 4, 5, 6, 7, 10%. Now some of these bears figured they could make their whole year by being in cash. While the bums who stayed long got mauled, they made fun of you. I bumped into a couple of them. They were salivating at your expense. Funny thing, this market, it doesn't always comply with what the so-called smart is expect. So how do we explain today's magnificent rally? Well, first off, we came in oversold on S&P's proprietary oscillator, a little more than negative five, making it unlikely that a big sell-off would have much staying power because minus five is where almost all extreme sell-offs end, almost all of them. And I've studied that oscillator since 1987. This is the S&P's proprietary oscillator, by the way. Second, the volatility index, also known as the VIX, didn't spike when the market initially rolled over. Carl to pointed that out to me this morning. Now, that's usually a sign that we're dealing with what I call misdirection play. Remember, we always tell you that if the VIX goes down when the market goes down, that is the most important tell. The best sign that this early morning pullback was a loser, I'll tell you what the best sign was. was. It was there. And I can read it. I can smell it. I can taste it. The market didn't go lower than where the futures took it. And if you read Confessions of a Street Addict, it tells you exactly what happens when that, when that occurs. It means there will be no follow through whatsoever and the bears will be hung, hung. Remember what happens when there's no follow through. Let's say you're a bear, you end up trapped, trapped like in one of those spring-loaded bear traps with saw teeth. Sure, the bears can howl and roar that it's all fixed. I heard them, it's all fixed, the whole thing is fixed or the idiot buyers don't know what they're doing. These long buyers, they're clowns. Calling you clowns, by the way. Laughing at you. But if they can't bring out more sellers with their fear, with their their going in the media and scaring you, if they can't can't panic you, then they can only escape the trap by, ah, by ripping their legs off and then going home and, and crying to their mommies. Well, remember, they're just cubs. Now, how could the Cubs have been so wrong? Because the people who are still left in this miserable, horrible, no-good market aren't going to try, jump stocks over something they already knew, that the consumer price index is too hot. I mean, no kidding, it's too hot. What, are like, oh, no, it's gotten cooler? Huh? What, I go to college and get stupid, stupid? Rates are going up so fast that you can't even figure out when they'll hit the consumer's collective psyche. But you know they're going to. Meanwhile, the banks will make so much money in your deposits that it's crazy for them to lend to people uh, when they can just invest that money in treasuries. Why lend? Now, wonder, no wonder the banks led the averages higher. Credit tightening is going to be brutal. It will starve marginal businesses, even legitimate ones. The combination of higher interest rates and tight credit will lead to a dramatic slowdown that will at least allow the Fed to win. I got a whole new analysis here from my dad, who was in World War II. I think they're trying to win the Battle of Midway, OK? And that's what the analogy I used in my investing call today, which you can go listen to at the CNBC.com CBC, website. Until the Battle of Midway, the U.S. was losing everything. Uh, you got to listen to the call, by the way. It's, got a, it, it's very cool. It's got this hilarious Karen Kramer story right at the top that's worth the price of admission to the club. Now, you won't see midway played out in these backward-looking government statistics, although you may see it in the banks that are reporting starting tomorrow. They might say, and this is what I'm looking for, that credit's getting tight, which is exactly what the Fed wants to hear. It means they've conscripted the banks into their fight against inflation. You know what else trapped the bears? Like yesterday with PepsiCo, which was supposed to be awful, we had some big upside surprises from some highly visible companies. Look, I know Domino's DPZ was one of the most powerful stocks of the last decade, but then it lost its mojo. That's a technical term for didn't do well. It's got a new CEO, though, and the numbers it reported today will bring a slew of upgrades tomorrow simply because they weren't horrible. And that's something that may spread to the rest of the industry because the QSRs, they call it, quick serve restaurant stocks, they tend to have a herd mentality, as do the wonderful analysts who service it. Speaking of herd mentality, last night I questioned how a heck of a terrific bank like Key Corp could be so low that it yields five percent. The answer made no sense, which is why Key was the third biggest gainer in the S&P 500, no longer with a five percent yield. By the way, you could have gotten much lower at the opening thanks to the panic sellers and the bears. Hey, maybe you need to watch Mad Money. Oh, by the way, was it so hard to find Coca-Cola either? That was what I suggested. We were like, wow, how do you think of that? Well, because it's sugar water like Pepsi. Now, a bunch of banks were going higher, including the majors, which could mean that when J.P. Morgan reports tomorrow, we might get one of those called shots where Jamie Dimon says he's buying shares because that Fortress fortress balance sheet is too enticing to ignore. I wish the stock hadn't worth five bucks today. Now it's coming in too hot, which is a recipe for weakness. But maybe people finally recognize how lucrative banking can be when the Fed tightens. We sure seem to have forgotten that the financials benefit from higher short-term rates more than anyone else in the world. We also saw real sellers remorse in tech. The semis bounced, even as they've been downgraded relentlessly. Stocks have pre-announced to the downside, like applied materials, were higher. When I gave my investing club talk, I mentioned how much I wanted to trim our semi-exposure for the charitable trust, but I couldn't let them go because of the possibility of some sort of spike up. Today, I finally felt good because we got some sort of spike up. Now, let me make one thing clear. This is one day. We've had so many bad days, so many bad news, so many negative numbers that we got oversold. We were due for a rally. They tend to be only one day. Did I know it would be today? No, but I did say that you have to stay the course because this inflation number really, was, was it really a surprise to you? Was it a surprise to anyone who was watching homes, rentals, food, wages? The only people who seemed to be stunned were the economists who were polled. I have to ask you, Mr. and Mrs. Economist, do you ever go to the supermarket? Have you ever rented an apartment? Are your kids trying to get a job? They'd sure be better at their job if you listened to them. Finally, let's talk PepsiCo. Yet another up 3% today, like I predicted. All these top-down geniuses never look at individual companies or what they have to say. In their eyes, companies are too small to matter. They think reading a conference call is so totally beneath them. It makes me feel like an intern at Goldman Sachs right down the block 40 years ago. But if you listen to the PepsiCo, here's what you'd know. Right now, we are at the inflection point where raw commodities are peaking. Almost every single one of them. PepsiCo went on and on to say that they can't yet take advantage of lower raw costs because they're locked into prices from nine months ago. But those lock-ins are almost over. Soon, the cost of can and carb, aluminum, fuel will all come down. In other words, the commodity inflation headwinds are becoming tailwinds. So we're going to get some real big earnings numbers down the road. You don't need a weatherman to tell which way the wind blows, but you do want to get ahead of the change of direction. Today was a down-the-road day. We accepted that there will always be a group of people who look through the bear, bearish lens. Uh, they look through a bearish lens, but there are also people who are bullish. The bottom line: people got too negative. But this morning, sellers—they weren't able to create enough fear. They didn't get on enough TV shows, I guess. They couldn't even get you to sell everything, even with a hundred basis point rate hike on the line. That means the remaining owners of stocks are more likely lifers, not renters—a much more reliable group of shareholders. After today, we have to remember there are always people who want to get out, but they're also people who want to get in at the right price or never sell at all. Hey, can we go to Jeff in New York, please, Jeff? Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for taking my call. People
1: appreciate what you do, despite the flack you uh, get. Oh, thank
3: people. you. We had, a great we had a great club call today. It was
1: really dynamite. What's going on? All right. So my question is about DKNG, DraftKings. And more specifically, to do with the rumored ESPN, it was rumored last year as well, and ESPN wanted um, three billion or something of that nature. It's rumored this time that it's uh, a lot better of deal in favor of DraftKings, and being that it's been down so much, I know growth has hit. I kind of wanted your opinion from here.
3: Well, I do think we have to worry about this California election. That's the problem. we got to see what happens there. But I think Jason Robbins doing a terrific job and I'm very much aware that partnering with drafting would be a very good thing for any company uh, who's in the media business because they're all doing so badly. All right, people got too negative and you saw what happened this morning. But they weren't able to create enough fear. The Bears were toothless. After today, we have to remember there are still plenty of people who never want to sell at all. Oh, man, tonight, could a solar play like Sonova help shine some light on your portfolio? Or could the stock's recent downturn be warranted? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then there's a bull bear debate when it comes to L3 Harris. But where do I come down on the issue? They, the island people don't have a show. I'll give you my take. That was pure hubris. And earlier today, we held our monthly meeting for subscribers to the CBC Investing Club, and we got some amazing questions from club members. They were so amazing, I figured we'd open the floor here and get some more burning questions about the market from the Investing Club. So stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
0: Visibility at indeed.com/slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: What do we do with the home solar place here? The industry's gotten some massive federal subsidies. But most solar stocks are fairly speculative, and right now the market does not like speculative stocks. That's made this group incredibly volatile, even on days like today. Take Sunova Energy International, which sells home solar and battery storage products, while also offering financing plans. We had them on the show in August, not long after the climate bill known as the Inflation Reduction Act passed. And I thought they told a great story. But when I got a call about Sunova a month ago, I said I really couldn't recommend Sunova stock Given how much the stock had run and the fact that the company's unprofitable. Since then, the darn thing's lost nearly 40% of its value, precisely because it's the kind of name that gets hammered when Wall Street doubles down on negativity. But we always want to be fair. So when Sunova reached out to, to give us their side of the story, we said, absolutely. It's certainly due for a revaluation, given how far it's fallen. So let's check in with John Berger, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Sunova Energy International, to get his perspective. Mr. Berger, welcome back to May Have Money.
1: Glad to be back, Jim. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, John, I know you didn't take it personally. You know, I'm, I'm kind of concerned uh, with the Fed tightening. They've really kind of basically made it so if a company's not lucrative, it's getting crushed. And if it needs financing, it's almost like they don't want it to do well. So how, do you, how does a company like Sonova, which does need to do financing, uh, engage in this new world?
1: No, Jim, uh, if you can go back to several quarterly uh, calls that we've had, uh, we've been pretty negative overall on both the inflation situation and the overall economy for quite some time. And so what we've been doing, and really Sonova will be 10 years old in November, uh, we've been building the company's balance sheet for that entire decade, but particularly ratcheted up and raising a lot of cash. As recently as is, is August, uh, and we raised over $600 million dollars on a convert to prepare for these for these bad times. And so as we're looking forward, we're we're a service provider. We're providing an essential service to homeowners. And the last bills you cut, even after you get laid off or in bad economy, don't have any cash, whatever the, the bad news is, the last bills you cut are the power bill and the water bill. And we're cheaper than, than any power bill, any monopoly uh, power bill out there. So people are paying us. And in fact, our default rates are dropping as we get in more and more into this bad economic times. And so our business is recession resilient. Our business that we've built, our balance sheet and cash is king, is recession proof. We feel like we can sail through these very uncertain economic times.
3: Do you have people who are prepaid because uh, they just want to be in better shape and they want to get ahead of any uh, uh, interest charges?
1: They do prepay, although in a rising interest rate environment, you're going to see those prepays drop as people want to hold on to that cash. And they want to be able to uh, essentially uh, have more liquidity and not be able to have like things like mortgages that they don't want to take out or refinance to come back and pay us right. off, whether it's a lease, a power purchase agreement or a loan. And that has absolutely happened, that has absolutely been the case. Has it impacted our liquidity? Not one bit, not one bit at all. And indeed, if you go back and you look at the cash position of the company, and I think that's really what's important here. Money losing on a GAAP accounting basis, absolutely you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But Gap has a lot of non-cash charges in there, and Gap does a better job when you manufacture widgets, manufacture equipment, or do a gain on sale rather than having long-term contracted cash flows on a capital-intensive business that's growing at a blistering pace. And that's exactly Sunova. So our problem in presentation is on the accounting is optics so let's talk cash cash is we have we have nine billion dollars in contracted cash flows that's not upside that's not potential these are contracted cash flows and again the customers are paying us even better than they were even just a few months ago then we have a billion dollars in cash and then when you look out the next few years to fully service those contracts it'll cost us at most two billion dollars in interest costs and service expense five billion of debt that leaves three billion dollars in nominal cash that's today and we're building that cash as we move forward in time so three billion divided by about 115 million shares about 26 bucks right that's where uh, the cash would be now on a non-discounted basis when you look forward we see that getting in just at the end of next year well into the 30s dollars per share stock sitting up 18 bucks wow all right and how about your new
3: commercial uh, idea, which I think is pretty exciting?
1: Yeah, what we're seeing is, is that as we have more and more of these technologies coming together, it's not just solar, it's not just batteries, it's load management, and then how do the autos with the electric vehicles, how do they interact with the home? Then you got generators, fuel cells even. There's a lot of new technologies that we're putting together. And again, Sunova is a service, just like a utility or many other services, like a cellular telephony. Yeah, we finance, but it's a part, it's an enablement of what we do. Just like software is enablement of what we do. We take all these different equipment manufacturers, all their boxes, the batteries, the solar panels, we plug them into our software, and then we're monitoring all that uh, equipment and make sure that it all functions on the house. So we created a mini utility system that then if it doesn't work we can talk about the recent hurricanes and how we uh, helped our many customers through that in puerto rico and florida but as as we find things that are wrong we roll a truck and we get it fixed very quickly so as part of moving into an adaptive community where you pull in like a master plan community uh, for example where we've got all these homes you have these gaps here and they're called businesses and so we wanted to pull those in so we could have a more resilient communities that we're building. In fact, we filed to do just that in the state of California just a few weeks ago.
3: Well, I'll tell you, John, I mean, what I'm hearing basically is that we can lump all the businesses that are not making regular profit, let's call it, together, and then find the ones that actually, uh, when you back out and do the accounting, are actually making money and have a service that is going to hold up in a recession And then what you come back with is a name like Sonova, which you may like anyway because of what you're doing for the environment. So I appreciate you came on. You're the one who answered the challenge. No one else has, which takes a lot of guts. And I really like what you had to say. That's John Berger, chairman, presidency of Sonova. which, by the way, if you look into it, I know what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to order from it. We have money's back after the break.
4: Coming up. Can the best offense for your portfolio be found in the defense cohort? Stick with Kramer and find out next.
2: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold
3: This year has been brutal for the stock market. And it could get even uglier as the Fed keeps tightening in order to stamp out inflation. Wouldn't know that after today's action. But there are some groups that are doing just fine with or without this upside move. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about groups like the defense contractors. Thanks to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we are seeing a renaissance in defense spending worldwide, which is why both Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin can be up double digits for the year, even the S&P 500 is down 23%. Remember it was down 25%? That was yesterday. On top of the war, the defense contractors have the added advantage of being more or less recession-proof. They're not tied to the consumer <laughs> at all, or even the enterprise. You know what? They feed at they feed the federal trough, meaning they don't have to care too much about the broader economy. But not everything in the industry has been working. Some defense contractors have struggled with supply chain woes or rising raw costs. Others have folded into larger, more diversified companies with weaker end markets, and nobody talks about them. As we approach the end of the year, though, there's one defense play that I, I like quite a bit going into 2023, even as it's lagged the best performers in the group. And I'm talking about one that's a real mouthful. That they really ought to change the name, to be honest. It's called L3 Harris Technologies, because I liked both L3 and I liked Harris. It's one of the most tech-savvy defense contractors in the game. They make all sorts of electronics and communication equipment. They think uh, integrated mission systems, intelligence, surveillance, renaissance, uh, uh, reconnaissance, probably, I'm sorry, uh, space, avionics, electrical warfare, precision engagement sensors, and drones. Yes, this stuff has become the bread and butter of the modern military, but L3 Harris still gets less attention than its more famous compadres like Lockheed or Raytheon, which is on everybody's lips. I've been recommending this stock ever since the old L3 Technologies merged with Harris Corporation three years ago, and it's been a good long term. performer. remember, I said I liked both of them. When they got together, I liked them even more. But recently, the stock's come down dramatically from its highs. I think it's gotten to levels where you have to pounce. Why? Listen, when Russia invaded Ukraine, L3 Harris saw its shares soar from 210 to just under 280. That's where it peaked in early March. Since then, though, it's come back down with the rest of the market to the point where it's now trading at $227 and change. It's like the war didn't occur. At one point last month, it even fell below 210, levels where the stock was pretty much reflecting total world peace, meta. So, not the Silverberg Cup. Some of the weakness here is because L3 Harris has struggled this year. When the company reported in April, the results were a mixed bag. A slightly revenue miss, a couple of modest earnings beat. Management talked about supply chain problems. We didn't want to hear about that. And delays caused by Washington's inability to quickly pass the defense budget. No kidding. Fast forward to July, and the results look very similar. Except this time, L3 Harris also effectively cut its full year forecast. Oh, man. By saying their numbers would likely come in at the low end of their previous guides. Not great. The stock actually managed to rally in response, though, because the weakness here was already baked in. You know how that is. Things appeared to get worse, though, when CFO Michelle Turner spoke at an industry conference a month ago. She explains that L3 Harris knew the first half of the year would be rough, but then she said, and I quote, we assumed in the second half there was going to be a steeper ramp of terms of that recovery. We are continuing to see the recovery, however, it's more muted than what we initially anticipated, and we do anticipate that it will elongate into 2023. Elongate. Remember what I told you about that word? That's one word that you never want to hear from an executive because it means they're going to take a lot longer to close big sales. Why do they say elongate? Why don't you say, listen, we're not doing well. It's disparaging. Especially because Turner mentioned this in response to a question about how L3 Harris could benefit from orders going to Ukraine. There seems to be a problem with sealing the deal in these government contracts, which is unfortunate. Whose fault it is? I don't know. That's why I want them to come on the show. When she got another question about night vision goggles and radios for Ukraine, stuff that's easy to produce quickly, she explained that L3 Harris has tons of demand. But unfortunately, these are areas where the company's currently supply constrained. They're prioritizing Ukraine, though, and they've got a couple hundred million dollars of businesses out of these products. I didn't like that either. Again, that's a mixed message at best. However, Turner repeatedly hammered home the point that demand for their products remains incredibly strong. Well, to the extent that there's a problem right now, it's a problem of timing because demand is what I most worry about when I look at a stock. Some of that timing problem comes down to the supply chain, uh, but we got some good news on that front. Turner said, quote, although the supply chain recovery isn't where any of us would want it to be, it is improving, end quote. In response to this presentation, the stock got hit, as it should have. But I don't think it was as negative as Wall Street concluded. It felt more like Turner was explaining the recent guide down than introducing new negatives. At the same time, I'm glad we heard about strong demand, some incremental supply chain improvements. In the end, L3Harris is a company with some real short-term woes. Okay, short-term. But it's also winning big long-term business that should pay off in 2023 and 2024, which isn't all that far away, people. The question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth to wait? The question is divided the analyst community. A couple weeks ago, Wells Fargo published a pretty contrarian, bearish piece on the whole defense industry that singled out L3 Harris and Lockheed. They're worried about what will happen to the contractors uh, if the war in Ukraine ends. And then a Republican-controlled Congress gets into a budget fight with the Biden White House next year. Ugly scenario. They point out that the 2011 Budget Control Act ultimately caused a big hit to defense spending. They also see L3 Harris as the gang that couldn't shoot straight, plagued by execution issues that have caused it to lag behind its peers. I don't see the defense budget being threatened before the 2024 election, uh, because uh, this is not 2011, when we were winding down the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Thanks to Russia and China, we're now living in a new era of global remilitarization. Hey, how about the bull side? All right, just yesterday... Credit Suisse Scott is, is initiated coverage on the aerospace and defense industry with a much more balanced take, giving L3 Harris an outperform rating, meaning buy he points out that the company's got great bookings, and it deals in more small-ticket items than other defense contractors, which means its sales can bounce back faster than the rest of the industry. Much easier to sell radios and night vision goggles and fighter planes. At the same time, he likes that L3 Harris is substantially cheaper on an earnings basis than Lockheed and Northrop Grumman, and also on a free cash flow basis, despite having broader, broadly similar financials. So where do I come down? I am actually not too worried about peace breaking out in Ukraine, in part because Russia is run by a psychopath, but also because L3 Harris is only up less than 20 bucks from where it was trading before the invasion. All the rest of them have run. At the same time, there's huge demand for their products, and Western governments will have to spend years restocking their arsenals if they're sending so much military aid to Ukraine. I know the arsenals are totally depleted. That means you're going to have to order and order again. Bottom line, L3 Harris has been a Dog for the past seven months, but I like the pure play defense contractors here. And given the recent pullback, I think this one in particular has become very attractive. And I'm debating it, putting it in the bullpen for my charitable trust. Hey, let's take questions. Let's go to Manuel in Illinois. Manuel.
4: Yes, Jim, my question is on Raytheon Technologies. I'm looking to get into mm-hmm. a defense stock. Just wanted your thoughts because I know they got a little
3: bit of exposure to Russia. Well, okay, so I have long liked Raytheon. It's been my favorite. Now, candidly, I've been looking for new ones because I always like to keep replenished. At 18 times earnings, down only 1%, run by the great Greg Hayes. I say buy Raytheon technologies. How about Gregory in California? Gregory. Jim, congratulations on another fantastic monthly meeting uh, in the book, Oh, thank right you. Now, you like that remember. stuff? You like that stuff at the beginning about luck's better, it's better to be lucky than good, huh? You like that? I like that. I also am really enjoying
0: the instructional information that you are sending out uh, on how to read a, uh, an income statement. because most. Of oh, man, no we did a
3: good one on AMC. I know a lot of the primates are interested in how to read a balance sheet, but you first got to put it. You have to turn it upside down. You're totally in it the wrong way. I just say that to the primates, but they do have opposable thumbs. How can I help? At the end of the call today, um, you make me laugh. At the end of the call, you mentioned uh, an energy stock. Uh, that was in the bullpen now i'm calling because uh that the sector went up four percent today but this particular one only went up one and a half they sell gas where i am actually in southern california i wish they were selling it in my old country in england and the whole continent but what do you like about them semper energy okay Semper Energy is run by Jeff Martin. He's figured out how to be able to get energy down from Mexico. The stock is up for the year. It's got a great growth profile. I think Semper Energy has replaced Dominion as one of my absolute favorites. Now remember, I also like uh, Entergy, and I I have a soft spot for AEP, but the CEO's retiring there too, a lot of retirees. But this guy, this fellow Jeff Martin, who by the way served in the military, he's great. I even took a picture of their headquarters building when I was recently in San Diego because I thought it was cool as old get out. All right, they're giving me the hook here, but I was having so much fun. L3 Harris has been a real bow wow for the past seven months, but it's a pure play defense contractor, which I like. Given the recent pullback, I have to tell you, I think it's the most attractive of the whole group. There's much more mad money at CBC Investing Club. Just referenced a moment ago, subscribers experience our big monthly meeting. You got to subscribe. It, it was such a hoot. But there were some questions that we just didn't have time to answer. You know, I like to touch. I like to get involved with people who are interested in stocks. So I'm opening the floor to you to hear the market-related questions that you're focused on. Then, the market fears a recession. But how could we have a recession with such a low unemployment number? I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Jeff Marks and I held our monthly investing club meeting today, but there's never enough time to get to all the questions that you, our investing club members, have. So that's why we figured we'd take a few more of them in the show tonight. Offer you kind of a sneak peek at what a monthly meeting looks like. And you got to attend. I mean, I throw a lot of bombs in it, but I still tell a lot of stories that are personal, real personal. Now, you can learn more about the club and the stocks we own for it anytime by going to cnbc.com slash investing club. And again, upfront and personal, I'm talking about home life. So let me give you a sample of what we do. First, I'll say, although sometimes I read a paper, but it's really in the prompter. So I'm just going to look up. First up, we have John in New York who asks, would like Jim's take on Verizon? Is this company on the downfall or is it just down like the rest of the market? T-Mobile now best in class. Would you start a position at these levels or dollar cost average in? Okay, look, this is a great question because everybody who's followed me for the last two decades knows that Verizon has been my favorite. But Verizon has been caught and passed by T-Mobile. Now, t mobiles a growth stock, doesn't offer any dividend. Verizon's got that dividend. AT&T had a dividend and had to cut the dividend. I think Verizon has the cash flow to cover the dividend, but that's not enough to own a stock. That's not enough to keep a stock safe. What you need is a stock that can go higher, not on the dividend, but on the business. And that means T-Mobile. Okay. next up, we had Robert from Maryland who wants to know, at this moment in time, would an investment in Chipotle Mexican Grill, CMG, receive your approval? Do you have a different suggestion? I have liked this stock. Robert from Maryland, since about, since uh, 18 months after the pandemic, I mean, I'm sorry, they had a food illness, airborne illness problem, and 18 months later, 18 months is how long the American people think about these kinds of terrible things, and then they forget. And if you wait 18 months, you buy it, then you do well. And sure enough, we're up about 1,000 points on Chipotle, and I am not changing my, my position. If anything, I like it more because management's gotten better. So the answer is yes by Chipotle right here. Let's go to David. He's in New York. And he asked, hi, Jim. Enjoy your work. Thank you, David. What's your opinion on Union Pacific? Union Pacific is the best rail. Union Pacific has run incredibly well, but Union Pacific is involved in commerce, and the difficult thing about commerce is it's slowing down. Now, on a day like today, people get very euphoric and they buy everything. So you might just say, "Wow, you know what? Maybe Jim's too, uh, uh, maybe he's too cautious about this railroad." But the answer is it can go up for a couple of days, but I don't want to overstay my welcome, even though I like the company. Next up is Eric. Eric asks, is it time to buy Snowflake? Now, I was just doing a lot of Snowflake the other day. That's because it's Frank Slootman. He's kind of got to rent the cloud system that, to me, is so, uh, it's so revolutionary and also so inexpensive that if I were running a business, and I used to run a business that needed the cloud, I would switch it to the rent the cloud and only use it and pay for it. Consider it to be like the Uber for the cloud. I'm not kidding. And I think Frank's doing a great job. Now, here's the problem. He's losing boatloads of money. And like I have told you, on Mad Money, we cannot recommend stocks that are losing a lot of money because we might lose you a lot of money. But this, if you've got, I'm not kidding, a couple of years to put it away, you will be fine. Let's go to Larry in Nebraska who says, I own Caterpillar stock. It seems like the last couple of years it hasn't moved much. Do I continue to own it or sell it? Okay, so Larry, let's understand each other. We've had an economy that is booming, but at the same time, there's worldwide problems, all right? Caterpillar is levered to a lot of, of, of uh, oil and gas, and oil and gas, the industry, has really pulled back on drilling. Uh, it's also going to do, I think, great next year on infrastructure. But this is the single biggest but. The, Jim Mumbleby, who is so terrific, has to deal with the fact that we have an incredibly strong dollar, which we don't talk enough in this country is what it really is, is a subsidy against CAT. All those other companies, whenever I see it, I see Komatsu, and I say to myself, why do we let them in here when we have this great American company, Cat? Why don't we put a tariff on those people? Why don't we have fair trade so that strong dollars really hurt them? By the way, that is a very uh, radical right position, but I actually think it's a radical left position because it it keeps people's jobs here rather than send them overseas, and I like that. Last but not least, we have Patrick who asks, hey, what's wrong with Pfizer? It is defensive, pays a decent dividend, owns the vaccine market. Yeah, it just lies there like a sleeping dog. But first, I got news for you. I got two rescue dogs. I got the Raghu, okay, and I got the Marley. And when they're sleeping, don't mess with them. They're happy. And they get in my bed. Right after I get out, it's, I get out at quarter, four or 3.30, boom, they're in the bed. Okay, so let's take the sleeping dog thing out of the equation entirely. What we do like about Pfizer is that they have unbelievable management. Look at this magic finger. They have unbelievable magic, unbelievable like magic. Uh, Albert Bourla, who is the CEO, Dr. Albert Porla, does a fantastic job. And I want to tell you, I would buy Pfizer because they just bought the company BioHaven's migraine drug. Now, I am the uh, chief spokesperson for the, for the American Migraine Foundation. This is a wonder drug. It'll be still one more amazing drug for Pfizer that BioHaven could never do anything with because they didn't have enough money. So the answer is you can let sleeping dogs lie, but you can buy Pfizer, which replaces Bristol Myers in my own mind. And money's back after the break.
4: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next,
3: it is time. It's time for the lightning round. Kramer calls name. The- for And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, got it. Come to the lightning round. Kramer, I want to start with. Jacob in North Dakota. I'm oh, sorry, North Carolina. Jacob. Booyah,
2: Jim. Fourth time caller. Uh, yes, sir. Um, I just um, I don't fight the Fed. Discover financial. I want to sell with both hands.
3: You are fighting the Fed with DFS? You are in the Fed's crosshairs, man. No place to be. Hey, how about we go right now to Rob in Tennessee? Rob.
1: Hey Jim, what a crazy day.
3: Crazy, crazy. Wasn't it? Crazy, great. Great day to be alive. What's up? It
0: is. Lots of opportunities. Here's a company you've liked in the past. I think you've even had the CEO on. company is DuPont. I've had them on many a time. May-
3: you know what? I actually like Corteva. The other spinner, like that seed pit spin I think the ag group is ready to roll again. Is in bull market mode. Let's go to Joe in Indiana. Joe, hi there. Hello, Mr. Cleo.
4: Hey, What's going I on, have, partner?
3: I have this uh, this uh, stock
1: that you gave us some time ago, and it doesn't it doesn't show very very positively. It had about five good numbers in in eight so far, and uh, it's
0: RPRX.
3: Well, no, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a house on fire. It's not a house on fire, but it's not hurting you. And I do believe, you know, this is a uh, uh, th- this is one of those. Uh, stuff It's a general Atlantic story. They've been terrific. I like it. And I'm going to stick with it. It's not big, but it's not bad. I want to go to Charles in Illinois. Charles. Thanks for taking my call. My question is about Tolerian. It was supposed to build an LNG
2: plant on a port to ship LNG to uh, Europe. They tried a bond issue of 11%, but withdrew it last month. Construction's still going on, and Solarian has over 300 million in cash. So is it worth doubling my position?
3: Well, okay, so every time I say something good about it, I got like 40 guys who tell me, you haven't done the homework, you don't know this, you don't know that. Now, it is absolutely what I have said over and over again, a call on this situation. I have not said that this is some sort of like triple A piece of paper like J&J. It's an option on Shereen Suki being able to build this thing. You know what I can tell you about? It's a $2.00. And stocks stop at zero. They don't go to minus two. So I'm okay with Tellurian. If they went to minus two, I would have to think twice. Let's go to Rick in Wisconsin. Rick.
4: Hey,
3: Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm an oh, you're welcome. Club Rick, what's happening? Yeah. yeah, great. Yes. I'm an
4: investment club member. I'm interested in your thoughts on Zoetta. ticker ZTS.
3: I think that Chris Peck does an amazing job. I think the stock is now undervalued. It's come down quite a bit. This is a company that does animal health. The one that people like to do animal health is not so at us. I think they should. Uh, it's got a it's uh, got the best growth profile. And I think the stock is down on its luck down 40% It's the a buy. There you go. I, I want to take another just because I'm kind of feeling the vibe of the investment club and it's good. Let's go to Stewart, New York. Stewart Hiya, Jim, how you doing? All right, Stuart, how are you? Okay, what a good day for energy. Looking
1: great again. Ready to break out, and my stock is Entero Midstream. Ooh,
3: I like Entero Midstream. Of course, the investment club is overweighted in energy, so I'm happy today. And I think your Entero is terrific. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning
4: Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, huddle up and find out how there can be so much recession chat to go with high employment. Kramer unravels that mystery next.
3: How can we have a recession when we also have the lowest unemployment rate since the 60s? If anything, jobs are even more plentiful now than they were back in the day because we've got 10 million unfilled positions. Maybe that's why the president says we could have a very slight recession. With a 3.5 percent unemployment rate, he's got to be thinking, how harsh can it be? To me, that is dead wrong because how harsh could it be is not a rhetorical question. It could be as harsh as the Fed wants it to be. And right now, the Fed's eager to bring the pain in order to stamp out inflation. And to them, today's rebound meant nothing except maybe they need to slam the brakes on even harder. The House of Pain. First, though, let me say that I hate coming on this show and talking about politics. I just hate it. I would love it if I could just stick to the stock market. But sometimes Washington is impossible to ignore. And that's like it is right now. Right now, we have rampant inflation, yet the federal government has authorized trillions of dollars in spending on top of the regular budget. In a vacuum, I personally think there's a lot of good stuff in these spending bills. They'd be great if we had high unemployment. But we already have massive labor shortages in this country, and it's only going to be made worse by all these new public sector jobs. We don't have enough people to fill them. It's just arithmetic, Mr. President. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has put the Federal Reserve in a position where they basically are at war with our elected officials. J-PAL has to create a new pool of unemployed workers who can be used to fill the positions spawned by the infrastructure bill and the ridiculously named Inflation Reduction Act. We basically have to fire Peter to hire Paul, or maybe even fire Peter to hire Peter. It might be a lower wage. In the end, because it takes the federal government and ages to do anything, I have no doubt that the Federal Reserve will succeed in getting people fired faster than Washington can get them hired. But this is all so much more frustrating than it needs to be, because the Federal Reserve really does have to take its cue from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, who wants to raise interest rates relentlessly, even as the unemployment rate starts to climb higher. She recognizes that only a ruthless series of rate hikes can break the back of wage inflation in this environment, particularly when the federal government is behind it. That's why the situation is more precarious than usual. If the federal government hadn't injected so much stimulus and if the Federal Reserve had gotten tighter earlier on, we wouldn't be in this jam. Now Jay Powell has to destroy at least one job for every new job Biden wants to create because we have way too many jobs and too few people. It is a real conundrum. The federal government's never going to take back money it's allocated for these projects. Heck, Intel can fire 20% of its workforce, and that doesn't mean that the feds are going to pull its subsidies away to build new facilities in Ohio. It never works like that. But to me, I don't see how we end up with only a very slight recession unless the federal federal government cuts back on some spending, either by rolling back subsidies or stretching things out so that they take a long time to hit and give the Fed some breathing room. In the end, we'll get as severe a recession as we need to stamp out inflation. That's what this is all about. Some of this is a global phenomenon that's beyond everyone's control. Europe's got terrible inflation, too, but a lot of it's with in the control of the president and his party. If they want a slight recession, they have to cut back on spending because spending promotes inflation. And more inflation means more devastating rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. Without that, it's going to be a real slog. The coming recession might seem slight if you keep your job, but it'll be harsh if you don't. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.